Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. Yo, good morning, good morning, good morning. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. So lovely to have you along. We've got a great show today, but don't forget to send me an email inbox at reallychick.radio. Text me at 2057. Now, Casey Costello. She has appeared on our show several times representing Hobson's Pledge. She's made the jump. She's standing for Parliament. I am so excited. Uh, She's standing for New Zealand first, which is not my cup of tea, but I don't care because Casey Costello is such a wonderfully good person. Uh, I would love to see her in Parliament. And to be honest, well, I could imagine voting for New Zealand first, A, because of her, and B, because at least Winston Peters has been speaking up against the COVID madness and the attack on free speech and fundamental values. And yes, I know, I know, I know he's all over the show, but what choice do we have? Well, we're speaking to Casey Costello, and we've got Jonathan Ailing along uh, to speak uh, on behalf of free speech. And isn't it extraordinary that here in 2023, we need an organisation to defend free speech in New Zealand and they're up against the government because our government no longer supports us having free speech. And indeed, the Department of Internal Affairs has put out a discussion group to regulate our online discussions and to shut free speech down. Boy, oh boy, you better make it... make a submission on that and you can there's a nice easy template to make a submission please do if you support free free speech go to it www.defendfreespeech or one word.co.nz and read about it there and make a submission enjoy the show what i want to achieve with rcr is conversation And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I... I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions. But, you know, as I've said before, there is no such thing as a wrong opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. The exchange of views, fair debate, no cancelling, no interrupting, no aggressive responses. We want to hear what people have to say. Whatever side you're on. And the listener, the consumer, with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. 
This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio this morning. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, and if we got the best news ever, Casey Costello, the woman that I have on that you all love, is standing for Parliament. Yes, she's standing for New Zealand first, which I think is understandable given its principles and its values and what Mr. Peters always says. But wouldn't it be marvellous to have a parliament with the great Casey Costello in it? And Casey joins us this morning. Good morning, Casey. Good morning, Rodney. Lovely you know, to you. Oh, do you know I read the news and I sort of get a bit low and then you standing for parliament has brightened my life, actually and made me look forward to this election. Oh, thank you so much, Rodney. I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I'm a bit selfish because <laughs> I want good people in Parliament, you know. So it's, look, I, I look, I'm so excited because there's so many armchair critics and people that complain about Parliament, and here you are, a person that's gone into Hobson Pledge and hoisted your flag and taken a lot of flack had a lot of support, but taking a lot of public flack, and you're doing the next thing, which is to stand for Parliament, and you'll be you'll take flack for that too. But the people that are giving you the flack, they're the people that want us to have a good Parliament with good people. Yeah, and and that, it's really true that you you kind of you do take the flack, but I think what I've found over the last seven years is that. Um, if you're true and you're honest and you stick to your, your, you know, you don't waver, and I've never wavered on on what I stand for, um, eventually people kind of listen to it and and they stop the argument and start listening. And, and I think that's what I've found. And I think it's that put your money where your mouth is. And I've, I've spent so long when I was in the police advocating for um, police through the police association and, and Hobson's Pledge and... Now I just think it's time to, you know, step up and take the next um, the next battle on. Great. Well, great for you. Now, I want to do something a little different. You're standing for New Zealand first. I'm going to put that to one side for the moment. And I want to talk to you about the process that you've gone through to come to this position that you'd stand for Parliament and the process that you've gone through Presumably you've been selected as a candidate? Yes. Yes. And the process that you've been through, because people are interested in, they don't know about this, the process that you've gone through to be selected as a candidate for New Zealand First. So please walk us through your decision-making and then the process. I, th- I think, like, right through the, the journey of Hobson's Pledge, um, we've constantly had this dialogue of, you know, why aren't you a political party? Why aren't you, you know, um, getting into parliament? And we were very clear that that Hobson's Pledge was lobbying for equality before the law. We weren't a political party. And I never believed that single-issue political parties can be successful. Um, you know, it's just, it's a hard journey. Um, what I've found over the last few months, um, well, particularly the last three years, really, I suppose, was that the the value of MMP is really evident when we've had a majority government of Labor, you know, being um, just you know unchecked through you know really dangerous legislation and dangerous policy. So I kind of started to feel that sense that 
if you really needed to make a difference, you have to be in there and you have to be in there with a strong voice. So once I'd kind of thought about that idea and, and you know, I've been approached by different parties and you know, had different discussions over the years as to what I can do. I never felt that I was ready. But New Zealand First, right back from the beginning, was the party that um, had always stood, stood constant on this issue of equality before the law. Um, and so I, 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 pay, I, put my, I, I put my name out there, I had the conversations, and you, do, you go through this selection process of really defining who you are, what do you stand for, like, you know, really, uh, you know, you kind of think it's, you put your name up and you go, well, there you go, you're lucky to have me. But actually there's a really, you know, it's a really soul-searching kind of being um, put through the checks and, and everything about your background, about who you are as a person, what you've done in your past, all of those sort of things. And, and what do you bring? What do you offer? And it's not just the standing in front of, you know, Parliament. It's actually, you know, how, how, how well can you build a team? How can you engage with people? How can you take this? And it's not an easy road. And, I mean, you know, Rodney, it's, mm. you know, you surrender your life a wee bit. So there's a you lot do. of almost talking you out of it through the process. You know, do you realise what it's going to be like? I suppose I had the advantage because I, I worked for a few years in Parliament when I ran security down there, and um, you got to see it warts and all. You know what yes. what it's like, and and I think that's helped. I hope me. you didn't see me misbehaving. <laughs> no, I was. You know, I was just in the background. I was always there. My I was worried. <laughs> I was always worried that there were those cameras everywhere, and I imagine those security guys had some great chuckles watching MPs thinking yeah, that they were off camera having a kiss and a cuddle with someone or <laughs> being a little drunk. And, and well, it, I was down there when they um, when smoking was banned in the oh. government buildings, and and that was a big to do because there was a you know that and Secret. it really. Secret smoking places. Yeah, exactly. And it really killed Bellamy's, I think, when they stopped smoking. Everybody. Um... Wow. Can I tell you a little story about that? I turned up to Parliament, and as you can imagine, I was shocked by the behavior and the hypocrisy and the madness of it. It was like turning <laughs> up to a boys' camp or something. And I went into Bellamy's. And there was a big table of Labour MPs presided over by Jonathan Hunt, who went on to become to the Speaker. This is when he first came to dislike me. And I had always opposed the banning of smoking. I thought it should be up to the people that owned the place, right? Yeah. But Labour had been big on it. And there they were smoking in Bellamy's. And I... I was so outraged by this that there was a rule for the little people. This is in 1996. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. 97 maybe, that there was a rule. For, I didn't sort of detect what was making me angry, but it was this idea that there's a rule for the little people and the rule for us. And the lady that ran Bellamy's, I called her over and I'd got to know her, you know, within a couple of weeks. And I said, excuse me, those people are smoking. And she said, oh, look, I can't say anything, you know, because, like, they're in peace. And I said, I think I said, well, I will. <laughs> <laughs> and I went over and read the riot act and said they couldn't smoke there. 
And this poor girl had to sort of back me up. And um, from that moment on, I was a hated person. And it's like you say, I mean, I've never forgotten that because, yeah, I'm sorry, we're talking to you yeah. and I'm telling you my story. So when you're a security, you'd see them sneaking off for a smoke um, on v the very laws that they had passed. Isn't that terrible? It, it was it was interesting. It was a it was a transitional thing. I think it was this idea. Um, of it. But we also encountered, you know, when when you had MPs protesting, and and the police would be, you know, coming to me to say, oh, you you can't have them, you can't have them holding these signs or having this. And I was like, um, guys, you know, this is Parliament. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have no authority to tell an MP what they can or cannot do. You know, this no. is an open. Parliament, so. Oh, so it won't be strange for you. You'll have seen more than me. Now, tell me, so you went through this process. Presumably it was tricky for you because I imagine while you were in Hobson Pledge, you weren't a member of any party. No, no. So um, I had, I mean, I, I've been involved with political parties and I've, of course. I've been aware of, of the process, but no, I wasn't a member of any political party. So um, that, that that was the whole process of membership and and engaging. Although I suppose we'd been lucky with Hobson's Pledge because I'd had the opportunity to engage with all the political parties in terms of what they were saying, um, trying to influence policy change and things like that. So I had a pretty good knowledge of where everybody was standing on the different issues. And, um, and so that, I think that knowledge has really helped me make um, a decision about where I best fit and um, what what is the the what resonates for me and and that's where I found my home. So you found your home and then you became a member. Presumably, the party because you said parties had been approaching you, and I can understand why you're a big catch because you're uh, an attractive woman, <laughs> Maori principled, able to speak. I mean, most people standing for parliament, uh, A, don't have those characteristics, but B, actually haven't that had that public experience and that public recognition. So you'd be a big pack, big, big catch for any party. Um, presumably the parties were approaching, presumably you were approached by New Zealand First uh, saying, would you like to stand for us? Well, I think as background, I, I've actually had quite a bit to do with Winston over the years. Um, mm -hmm. he, he comes from not far. My my mum's family went to school with Winston's family, so there's a there's a family connection. So I've kind of I've I've encountered Winston a lot over the years, and and not just politically, um, not just politically. Yes. Yeah. So mm -hmm. so that's um, and I think the 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 discussions were really. Um, not just about um, you know me you know wanting to stand for parliament, but wanting to to be part of a solution, and that was really my driver. Was you know this is you know this is roll your sleeves up time. This is you know there's there's some Good big stuff you. to take care of, and 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 that was where I I felt the the strength you know that that sense of you know the the real grassroots people who've been the supporters of Hobson's pledge. You know we're a we're a you know a small dollar donor you know group that you know we're we're funded by everyday Kiwis and and that's where I felt I fitted the best. So your negotiations and discussions and process 
wasn't backroom functionaries, although they would be involved in the process, you also had a direct link with the leader, Winston. Yeah, and, and but it definitely I had to go through the same process as everybody else. Of it was that, that was um, the the discussion was you know you know we're all the same. There's no there's 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 no one more important than anyone else, mm. um, and so the whole process had to be applied the same to me. And and I, I that to me shows the integrity of the party that there was no you know special deals or anything like this. Mm. This the uh, you know okay. Right, let's have a chat, but you've still got to go through this process. Did you find the process intimidating? <laughs> it was really. It was that sense of like, you know, you're talking to people that you're you're selling this, and I'm the. I mean, I haven't had a job interview forever. You know, it was you're literally selling yourself, but not just you know what you can do, but truly what you believe. What do you stand for? What are you about? Um, that stuff is is it, it's really good, and and one of the things you go through is you write your resume. You you basically write who you are, what you stand for. That that really kind of getting down to um, breaking down who you are as a person, and and it's quite cathartic. It's really it's mm. really good. I enjoyed it. It was it was. Was neat it? In, did you find it intrusive? Um. No, I think because it's you know you know that everybody's doing the same thing and you know you're going through that process and mm. um, and I, I think one of the things because I'd, I'd had the experience of being down at Parliament and when you see people that that you know that just it's too much it's it's too hard it's too different it's too much pressure I've seen that kind of how it's unfolded so I think it's really useful to go through that at the front end and and be really clear about what you're getting yourself in for um, before you and get what down. what about, I don't want to ask you what they could be, but did you have to search back through your mind and think of skeletons and possible skeletons? <laughs> and, and I think that was the part that I, I could stay hand on heart, you know, with seven years with Hobson's Pledge, if there was a skeleton – with the amount of people that were trying to come after us, I think somebody would have found a skeleton by now if there was yes. one. To come. So um, I, I'm fairly sure that if, if there was one out there, my memory's not the best, but I'm fairly good. I'm all above board. But I think if somebody had found something, it would have come out before now. So I think I'm pretty the, the tricky thing about skeletons is, and you can take the sort of merest hint and, take one plus one plus one and get 33 when the media come to write the story up and um, you're then trying to explain the situation, but it's you've lost it. Yeah. And that's, that's the very, very, and we've seen this over and over with the MPs, you know, some ju justly traduced and some extremely unjustly traduced. And when you look at it, I think this is objective. It actually matters who you are and what party you stand for, the level of standard that's applied. Yeah. Some some MPs and some parties are very favoured by the media and some are painted in the worst possible light. Um, and New Zealand First in Act would be the ones that have most heavily criticised and the Greens and Labour have the most easy right. Yeah, it, it is. It's that dilemma of how do you connect I, I think we've become we've reached the stage and and the work that you're doing Rodney 
with Reality Check Radio is that the people are, are seeking their own information more and more mm. um, and they're not being sold that um, that front-facing narrative. So I think that's, you know, there's a lot more um, intelligence being applied to just listening to what you've been told um, and, and people are willing to kind of hear the full story. And I, I think, you know, if you're honest and you're um, open about what you believe and what you stand for, eventually the, the naysayers all, you know, they, I mean, the, the worst thing I think for me is that you, you just get ignored, um, which we, yeah. you know, we with, with Hobson's Pledge, um, you know, Don would be um, promoted and I would be ignored because I was harder to, you know. Yes. Um, well, you've certainly been through it with Hobson Pledge. I suddenly realised that ACT and New Zealand First aren't the worst attack in New Zealand. Hobson Pledge would be even more so. <laughs> and, I mean, they've managed to paint you as a racist fascist when you're a Maori, part Maori, female, ex-police officer and very kind, generous, excellent person who everyone that knows you loves and adores you. Um, and if they can do that to you, you understand perfectly how unjust it can be because you are you really are, I like, as you know, I'm a great fan of your auntie. We won't name yes. her, but she, she is such a beautiful woman and such a wonderful woman, and she adores you, and that's enough for me. And I think that's what gets you through, and, and we were talking a lot through the New Zealand First has had their conference this week, is that wraparound support you have from your family, and and that's what I've been really credited to. And 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 my auntie that you refer to, she sent me just before the, the conference, the launch, because she knew that I was announcing, she sent me a photo of my grandparents and just, just wrote at the bottom just saying, just remember them, they're with you, and they'd be so proud of you. And that was, you know, just really moving, really lovely. That's, that's tearing me up a bit. And, of course, your auntie <laughs> would know Mr. Peters and his family very well. Yes, yes, she does. Very and this much. is going back generations. Yep, yeah. So, yeah, they and, – and I think that's what I admire the most um, about Winston is that I know where he came from, you know, where, what his family – you know, that, that they are the, the, uh, the example that, you know, this is – you are as good as you are willing to, to you know, put yourself forward and be accountable and care for your children and raise your families and support your families and all of those sort of things. And, and that's, that's what I admire. And that's the, the values that, that I've been raised with. And that's what I think um, we need to be bringing back to our country. Mm. Now tell me, um, have you made a decision yet, whether you'll be standing in a seat or a list only, or is that too early? No, I'm I'm standing at Port Waikato. I live in Pocono, so Great. yeah. So I'm standing in Port Waikato. So everybody in Port Waikato. <laughs> yeah, who's the sitting MP in the Port Waikato? Um, Andrew Bailey. He's a national MP, I think. National MP, yeah, yeah. Great. And are you going for the seat, or you're going for the party vote? Um, I yeah, that that's some big decisions because, as you know, winning electorate seats is is a big job. Um, and it's really up to the party to decide how much we can invest. But um, I, I think it's it's important to give present the option, present yes. the, the 
the option as a realistic option. And well, I mean, people have their vote. They can spend it how they choose. Yeah. <clears throat> now, you're also going through the list selection process to determine where you go on the list. Um, are you aware of that process and um, you're up for that because that's going to be very influential on your life? Yes, it is. Um, and, you know, that, and as you know, the, the list selection, I think um, some of the parties have put their lists out already. Um, I, I, New Zealand First will, will um, put their list out, you know, when the management decides. And I, I think it's that merit meritocracy base which I admire the most this isn't about you know this diversity higher kind of position I want to I want to be in a position because of my merit and what I offer and what I've delivered for the party um and you know not this you know we've got to have this representation factor I think that we need more than that in this parliament and we need people who are there because they absolutely are the best people to be there um not because, and I would hate that sense that I was there because I was a female or I was Māori or whatever it was. I, I want to be the very best. Now, how does it go? Because everyone confronts this and everyone has to, they call it swallowing the rat. But how does it go? Because there's so much wrong in New Zealand and let's just focus on one law for all. How does it go when say, we are fortunate enough that you make it to Parliament, which would be a wonderful thing for us as a people. How do you handle mentally and philosophically and pragmatically the need, and it's unavoidable, to give way on your principles? Because we're so far away from achieving Hobson's Pledge ideal, that it would be amazing if you could achieve everything overnight. It's going to be a process. And so inevitably, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be resistance from the other political parties. There'll be pushback from your colleagues. Uh, there'll be a massive pushback from the bureaucracy and from the interest groups. And so you're going to be doing your utmost and with you, there'll be wins, but the nature of it is there'll also be losses. And you confront that scenario about tossing your toys or digging down, and at what point you betray your principles. How are you feeling about that? I I, I read a lot of Thomas Sowell, you know, the, the yes. amazing American economist who, you know, has himself you know, he's everything that you believe in. He's grew up in Harlem. He was self-made. He's, you know, and and he's an incredible mind. One of the things he writes and he quotes is quoted quite often is there is no there's no solutions, there's only trade-offs. Mm -hmm. And it sounds really negative, but if you go in knowing that everything, there's a negotiation in everything. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're moving in the right direction, there is you know, you you take, you know, when you run a business, you always feel like, you know, there's just so much to do and there's so much. And But sometimes you've got to stop and look back where you were to see that actually where we are now is better than where we were. 
and we just keep looking forward to where we want to be. And as long as everything you do keeps moving you forward, there are definitely things that everybody will not trade off. And, and that's the part that you you have to decide what is the not negotiables, what is the not trade-offs. Um, but sometimes in order to get to that destination, you're going to have to take a couple of detours. And I think it's about being smart enough to know how what detours will still get you moving in the right direction. What detours mm. can you take and still not lose your destination and and I think that's where we, we've got to keep having smart people that know um, well knowing you you've got principles for a start right <laughs> and you and I know that clearly a lot of people even standing for office don't have principles to begin with they've got nothing to lose from their principled basis but you given your standing up for Hobson Pledge, you have nailed your base principles to the door and actually paid the price for sticking to them because you've been harangued and um, shouted at and you've stuck to them. And I, I, I can imagine you explaining, well, we can't get everything, but here's what we've got and here are our principles and being able to explain one law for all to all and saying, you know, this is this is what we've achieved, and we'll do more. We'll just need more support. Um, so I think I think people would understand that. Yeah, and that that's when you've got to keep taking people along with with the journey with you. You've got to mm -hmm. keep people informed. I always remember um, we we had a, a um, I was in the police when they brought in video interviewing. And a lot of the video interviewing came out of offenders because lawyers couldn't believe that we would get confessions out of people, couldn't believe that people would confess to crimes. So they wanted to bring in video interviewing to prove that there was, you know, something dodgy was going on here because who would confess to a mm. crime? And, and that's one of the skills I remember when I left the police thinking, you know, what am I qualified to do? One of the skills you have is knowing people, being able mm. to talk People, to being able to talk to people in their worst situations and being able to talk to people to the point that they would tell you the truth about what actually happened mm. and the things that they probably didn't want to confess to. It's a real, you know, it's it's something that you kind of learn and grow into and, and it's a skill that's taken me through life, whether you're dealing with errant employees or Hobson's Pledge or whatever it is, the ability to to work with people and and get the best out of them. And um, and I think that's what this journey is about, is, is about being able to work with people and and give them give them give them an out. You know, if you push someone into a corner and this is your ultimatum, there's no out. All you've got is conflict. But if you can work together and 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 develop solutions, I think we've got a um, an opportunity to to get better. I want to stray off topic just because this is almost personal for me, but also big for a lot of our listeners. Um, Winston Peters has been speaking out about COVID and we love it so much so that um, I was thinking of um, voting for him um, and with you standing, um, that's on right? I'd do anything to help you get into Parliament. <laughs> but um, 
for us, the COVID lockdown and the deplatforming of people um, was a big deal. Would you be open to like a select committee inquiry to what went on? Well, I know that New Zealand First has made a strong position on ending all the, all of the mandates, the the and that's a big position to to take. I think that's a really strong position to take. I I think there's always opportunity to learn, and and what they've the parameters around the inquiry was you know it, it, into the to the whole COVID situation means we're not going to learn anything, and we need to learn stuff. We need to know exactly what happened and I think that's um, I remember the um, the tragedies in Australia with the bushfires and the first massive bushfire where there was lots of deaths um, they had really open you know let's not put aside anybody getting prosecuted or getting blamed let's really understand what happened what went wrong what went right and, and following on that, there was lots of prosecutions. There was lots of mm. – so, of course, the next time you have a massive event like that, no one no one tells the truth. No one, no one explains what went right, what went wrong, because they're so afraid of being um, prosecuted or vilified for m- mistakes that were made in the heat of the moment. So mistakes continue to be made because no one stopped to learn. No one stopped to go, what's and all – Let's put aside who did what right, who did what wrong. Let's let's have an honest discussion, and that's what I'm worried about. Is that we haven't stopped and had an honest discussion. We have, and, and we mm. kept criticised for, you know, this narrative of misinformation or you know. But well, you've been on the receiving end of that, of course. You've been mischaracterised. I mean, and so have we, and I'm not including you in this group who have utterly opposed every inch of the COVID response. And, of course, we now know through Official Information Act requests, such as we've been able to get, that the politicians and civil servants were lying to the people of New Zealand. I guess in their defence, I'd say it was a noble lie in saying that the vaccine would be safe and effective when there was no evidence of that. And so it's tricky because... Those in charge to date, including the National Party and the ACT Party, have been seriously implicated and compromised for any inquiry. This is like Erebus level, but bigger, potentially, right? Yeah. And so we're looking to, and I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm just putting this out there for our listeners. I don't want to put you in an awkward position, but, you know, just be aware that we can look to New Zealand first as making it to Parliament and not being guilty of what happened. And so able to say, no, we just want people to come and be questioned under oath, like before a select committee, as to how were they in a position to say these things which clearly weren't true and cause such a lot of upset. And and I think that's the point. While there continues to be angst, while there continues to be areas of conflict on this issue, then the only way to resolve that is to get everybody into the room and, and actually you know find mm. answers that satisfy all the questions. Mm. And 
and I, I, I think it's important that all of these, you know, whatever the issues are, that there is an accountability. That's why we have a democracy. There's an accountability mm. to the people, and and that is, um, you know, we we're entitled to answers, and and that's mm. that's the part. And it's this concept that that you're there to serve the people. You know, the people don't serve you, and 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 that's that 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 foundation ethic that I think we. Well, I will definitely bring to to this role. Well, one law for all is important, obviously, to living in a free and prosperous democratic country. Because if we don't have one for rule for law, we're living under a tribalist tyranny. But funnily enough, my vote is hinged on an inquiry into the vaccine injured. I've never been a single-issue voter before, but I'm so upset by people who did what was asked of them and were injured, clearly injured. Doctors say they were injured. Some died. You don't know how many even. And they're shunted aside by the medical system, by the ACC system. They're told that they're mentally unwell and cast out, and there are literally thousands of them. And Winston, to his great credit, has listened to them. And my only plea to you and suggestion to you is that it would be costless, virtually, to have a health select committee and inquiry just where these people could come along and explain what happened to them. That's what select committees are for. And the great thing about it is, is there's no filter. There's no Royal Commission filter between them and the Parliament. It's the Parliament. And it's also in public. Their testimony is in public. And I'd like, you know, to see that select committee get Ashley Bloomfield and Jacinda Ardern back. And say, when you said X, were you not aware that you'd been advised Y? You know, your your experts were telling you that there was no evidence for what you were saying, and yet you went out and said it. I'm not putting you on, I don't want to put you on the spot, I just want to take the opportunity, I think on behalf of listeners too, to suggest that to you, and I'll leave it there unless you want to say something. Well, I, I think that the, the, the point you raise is that, that Winston has demonstrated that he will listen, and mm. as the party and that's the strength of the party is is that strength of the leadership is that he has demonstrated that you know he was the one that went and and um and talked with the people and listened to what he was going the protest it was amazing mm. yeah and and so I think that's the 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 types of things that that I find encouraging is is the ability to get out there amongst the trenches and and talk to what's really hurting people um and you know, if I'm lucky enough to get there, then that's that's what I believe in. I think you've got to you've got to be accessible. You've got to be out there. Um, you know, the 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 successful. You know, the 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 politicians, the um, the Norman Kirks, the ones that were out there, kind of you know, painting. Yeah. yeah, and and that's that's what um, 
I, 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 I observed that when I was at Parliament, you had the ones that, you know, I could disagree with the politics, but you knew the ones that were just available, accessible, mm. just, you know, I, I remember um, one of my favourite stories was Margaret Wilson, who I had, um, she was the speaker at the time I left Parliament, and um, an incredibly gracious person, incredibly mm. intelligent, but there was a, a Kapahaka group, that had, a group of kids that were there to perform, but because of some protesting and stuff, the, the, the guests didn't come through the front foyer, they went round the back. So this Kapahaka group didn't get to perform. And, you know, she'd had a massive day already, and I, I know that, but she came and asked the Kapahaka group to perform for her. And, and, you know, and she stood there for, you know, quite some time and thanked and individually shook hands with all of them and that sort of stuff. And, and that was a real credit. That's, that's the type of, of person that we need that, that kind of. And of course, real- with her leg, she was in constant pain. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I admired her. She just stood mm-hmm. there for, it would have been half an hour. And it's not comfortable for her. And I just, you know, she will have my admiration always for that one thing. And those things for MPs go unreported. Mm. You know what? And there's so much you see as an MP of other MPs that is so human. And you wish that the people knew what these people are like. And they're from all parties. Tell me this. Here's a question from a long-term listener. Um. We know Winston long before it worried me and when I thought he was wrong, was complaining about globalism. And by that I mean these unelected bodies like the United Nations who ministers go over to see, go to a big flash jamboree, whether it's Rio de Janeiro and climate change or the indigenous rights, and you'll be very familiar with Peter Sharples slipping off unannounced to to go to New York and have a big ceremony and sign us up to some UN convention and have John Key tell us it means nothing because we're a sovereign country. But then you find, oh, we have to do this because we signed this thing, and that becomes the reason. Yep. And in unelected ways, our governments have signed us up to all sorts of things, and including now we see in trade agreements. At a personal level, does this globalism, as witnessed with Peter Sharples and what it's meant for having one law for New Zealand, does that also concern you? Yeah, and and I had been largely unaware until um, under you know that that yes. you and came about at, about the ease in which it was adopted the reality is it doesn't place any obligation but it's no. being used to place obligation and so that was really what what opened my eyes to the fact um that this is this is an issue that this is a real problem to to our identity as a nation was that that, that we can be so you know, um, influenced um, or, you know, lied to effectively that, you know, we have to do this now. And and that's why I, I have a lot of time for Professor James Allen, um, the um, 
who who who's now a professor in Brisbane, but he was law professor in Otago University, and he's Canadian himself. Um, and and he came over and did, and you know, from a constitutional law point of view, a review of the Hapuapu report. And from from his information, it was really clear this, you know, constitutionally why New Zealand is in such a such a powerful position as having an unwritten constitution. We have this protection, and that Parliament is sovereign okay. power, mm-hmm. and. And and that's really precious. And the the thought that we can trade that off so easily, and and not even you know not even by presenting it to the people, we've just been told, you know, it just is what it is. Under makes this obligation, and it isn't what it is, and it hasn't undermined our constitutional position. Um, and and those are the the things that you know you can be, you know, just because you say things lots and lots of times doesn't make it right. And mm. somebody. Has Stand up and go. The emperor's got no clothes on, people. This is this is a lie, and it's, um, and we've got to. Yeah, it seems to me now that it's not that the UN and these other bodies direct us. It's rather that we sign up to these treaties, and then local councils and government departments use them as the high-level strategy and objective and all their planning and all their policy reports and all their papers. And so it's this non-voted-for high-level policy over and over and over, and ministers and cabinet are sitting there and officials are advising them and say, oh, well, the UN says this, and for a lot of them it will agree they will agree with it, but a lot of them won't, but they'll be silenced by the fact that it's the UN policy XYZ that we committed to and our trade relies on it, yada, 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 yada. And so our councils and our government looks like it's being directed by the UN, but it's really that our parliament won't stand up to it. And and that, you know, that level of bureaucracy where, where a bureaucrat's telling you something, so as an MP you go, oh, well, it must be right then. You know, you've, you've, yes. got, to, you've got to see the bit of paper in your own, you know, in, in front of you and go, okay, well, answer, the, answer this question, answer that question. Mm. Be curious, find out, don't accept because some bureaucrat that's been there for a while has told you something. And that's, I, I think that was the part that, you know, one of the, things I talk about with the police training is that as a detective you know you just got information and your job was to work through what information is true what information has evidential value you know what and it you know whatever the the crime was the you you had to find the truth in all of that you had to wade Mm -hmm. through it and and ask the questions of the right people and and that's what I think um one of the I hope to take to the to the discussions. Well, Winston, to his great credit, is on to this. And also, like I'll give you my experience, and then we've got Winston's experience. My experience, and it's hard to imagine how disappointed, disappointed doesn't begin to capture it, but if I gave my true feelings, um, I'd be disappointed in my broadcasting. But we were in a coalition arrangement with John Key's government, the ACT Party, and we had a no surprises policy. And I discovered 
that as a quid pro quo over something that I'd done, Peter Sharples was allowed to fly to New York, not telling anyone, and sign this UNDRIP on behalf of the New Zealand government. And I actually demanded a meeting with the Prime Minister. And I sat there with him, and he had that sort of confident smile on his face where he told me it meant nothing, <laughs> that we'd just signed this, but we were still sovereign, and we'd have to agree to... We would have to agree to anything. Parliament would have to do it, so it made no difference. And unfortunately, I'd seen the same thing happen right back to 1992 in climate change, where we'd signed things that meant nothing, but then became government policy and then unstoppable. And I couldn't believe that John Key, who I knew and trusted, could do that to not just me, but more particularly to the country, because that dramatically changed the direction of New Zealand, probably more than anything he did. Yeah. And he was unaware of it. I think he was being truthful to me. He was unaware that what those things meant. And of course, Mr. Peters, he had that experience with Labour. I can never pronounce it, where they did that report and received it and never told him. Yeah, the Hepopa report. Yeah. I don't know how to say Hepopa. I'm hopeless. Um, I can scarcely speak English. So um, <laughs> that is so disgusting. And that New Zealand gets dragged along in an unelected way without even those in charge being aware of it. And we had a and, sorry. I mean, just to add to the the Heipopo discussion, we, we have to remember that um, the Minister of Māori Development, Willie Jackson, has commissioned another um, UNDRIP realisation plan. He commissioned it to be, you know, drafted as, you know, for the government to have a plan moving forward. Um, middle of last year said that, um, you know, we're, we're still tweaking it because some of the language was a bit strong and might not be a problem. Um, but, you know, it would be released for public consultation. Well, that was the middle of last year. We're now three months out from election and we know this report's been commissioned and nobody's talking about it. It's, it's just like it's disappeared this next realisation plan for UNDRIP. And, um, you know, where is it at? Um, the beginning of this year, I was called to make a submission to the Select Committee about renaming New Zealand to Aotearoa, and the committee hasn't reported back. You know, th these are the things that are the sitting there that we're kind of, you know, well, where is this, what's happening? So I think that the things being hidden is, is still a concern. And, and there has to be people that go into to, um, the next government that was formed in New Zealand with the wherewithal to ask the right questions. Well, and your ability as a police officer detecting bullshit will be very valuable. <laughs> the, 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 the bullshitometer, I think it's yeah. it. <laughs> we had the experience. We have a wonderful broadcaster called Jasper, who's a wonderful woman. And to my shame, she went along to an ACT meeting. That's not what the bit I'm shameful, ashamed, ashamed of. But she spoke up and asked David Seymour, the ACT leader, whether he was concerned about the undue influence that the UN was having on local government in New Zealand. And he called her a nutcase in a <laughs> public meeting 
a well-spoken nutcase, I think the words were. And it's that inability of our political leadership, like David Seymour, like John Key, to be unaware of this globalist uh, cabal who aren't coercing us. <laughs> we're signing up to it. Yeah. But we're signing up to it unaware, like John Key, like David Seymour, like Jim Bolger in 92 with climate change, they're unaware that when you sign something like this, it will be used against your country. And and I think that's the, the you know, I, I, I often use the emperor's new clothes sort of analogy that you have to be afraid, not unafraid to ask the questions. Yes. And as well as listening, you've got to ask the questions. And and, and that was, you know, National was also, um, the same argument was applied when they passed the Marine and Coastal Area Act. Yes. When John Key looked straight into the camera and said, you know, this won't affect anybody, you know, there'll hardly be any claims, it won't be a problem, nothing to see here. And I, I think probably, you know, they believed that there would be very few uh, successful claims under the Marine and Coastal Area Act. But by April 2017, there was a claim over every centimetre of New Zealand's coastline. Yeah, and then some. And here's the thing. He was in a responsible position. He was a smart person. He had an obligation to find out, and he had the resources to find out. But I believe it suits suited him and suited the politics of the situation just to wave his hand and get through the day and get through the week and get through the term. John Key wasn't a person who would stop and say what's best for New Zealand in the long term. It yeah, I think that plausible deniability, you know. Uh, the now tell me this, Casey. I imagine, I'm guessing here, but I imagine Don Brash is very proud of you standing for Parliament and 100% behind you. But you'll also be sad not to have you because you're like sort of the Lone Ranger and Tonto. <laughs> That's a and perfect... The, ton the tonto, Tonto's lost the Lone Ranger. <laughs> I'll always be in his corner. I Honestly, Don Brash has the great, uh, my greatest admiration. I just cannot believe that he continues to keep fighting the good fight. He's great. You know, when he's not just gone like, oh, look, I'm going to go and live a happy life. And, yeah, and um, he just is tireless. It's just, uh, you know, I have the greatest admiration for his you know, willingness to, to front up. And if you're out and about with Don, you know, his patience and his kindness and his respectfulness to people is just mind blowing. You know, I've 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 been in occasions where I felt like I'm his bouncer. You know, I'm 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 ready to jump. And of course, he's the opposite of you. Yeah, he has a zero bullshit meter, right? Yeah. <laughs> he takes. He can't imagine that someone could withhold the truth from him or slightly bend the truth, or slightly mislead him. He is hopelessly naive about people. He just has an incredible trust and faith in people. He, he yeah. just really does. Which is very um, touching because you want to protect them at every stage because you can see oh. it, right, and he can't. And also protect him, like, you know, because he you know, he has borne a brunt and people have, have seen him as something that he's just not at all. Mm. Um, 
And so when when I sense that people are you know wanting to be a bit aggressive or anything, like it's really hard for me not to sort of go into to police mode. And <laughs> yes, well, our Tonto needs a new Lone Ranger or Hobson <laughs> Pledge. Um, well, Casey, um, how do people find you've got a web page up yet? or can they still contact you through Hobson Pledge? Well, yeah, they'll definitely, I, I can be forwarded emails through Hobson's Pledge for now. Right. I, don't, I don't think they've, they've burned the bridges with me. Um, okay. But it's it's very early days, so I've got a whole lot of stuff. Um, my massive to-do list um, has been added to quite significantly of the stuff I've got to get going over the next few days. So um, well, be, be out there soon. I don't support political parties now. Um, because they all let me down in a fundamental way. I support good people, and you're a very good pe- person, and you've got my 100% support. I might even give you my vote. I'm still waiting. <laughs> uh, but my vote is on, just so everyone's clear, I'm a single-issue voter. I'll vote for the party that will promise a select committee inquiry into the vaccine injured and killed. And I don't know the answer. I know some did. The government admits some did. But we don't know how many and how great an extent it is. But I want those people to have a voice and their families. And I want to find out what happened. And so I know that's it. Nothing else matters to me at the moment. And yet I feel very strongly about one law for all too. And Hobson Pledge and what you've achieved. Uh, By the way, just quickly, what was the... Highlights and the lowlights of your seven years setting up Hobson Pledge. What was the great moment and what was the bad moment? Can you think of things stand out? I. It's really funny that you know the the you know the big things the you know building a base of one hundred and sixty thousand supporters, all of those sort of things is really great. You know, pushing back you know um, the Rotorua Bill for unelected representation and and um, and. Uh, the changing of equal suffrage in Rotorua and there was, you know, things like that that really, you know, but it's really the little things. It's it's the it's that one-on-one contact. Mm. And one of the highlights was um, you know, we had a quite a, you know, sort of hostile meeting and there was one young woman who was just, you know, hated everybody. And I asked her to talk to me. You know, I asked her to come outside and talk to me and, and explain to me what it was. And Turning that one person, like just turning that one person, that that connecting with one person who was so full of hate and sitting down and talking and going through, those little things were the highlights to me, that that connection to people that, you know, that we can all have differences, but, you know, let's focus on our common ground. And and those are the the things that I think really resonated, that one-on-one contact, the the, the people. And and just recently, um, you know, someone I know very well was just having a, you know, walking along the beach conversation about the state of the world and um and you know how bad things were. And and the the guy fishing said, Oh, but you know, I follow this group, Hobson's Pledge, and this lady, Casey Costello, and I felt like, wow, I've like I've become like some knows me. Yes, you are. <laughs> you are Casey. And I won't do the low light because that highlight was so touching. I don't, we don't need to know about low lights. We all cover those when we get through them. Um, you know what? You 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 come across, and I've met you, 
And you come across, you don't come across, you are a very beautiful, fine, good soul, good, good, good person. Thank you. And you look Maori, right? So no one would mistake you as not being Maori. And I know your aunt well, and she is the finest of ladies. And she tells me of those elders that you had and she had. And what wonderful people they were. Good values, strong morals, um, worked hard, looked after their family. And it must be with some hurt that you see these people who, and I don't, it shouldn't matter about appearances, but funny enough, it does on this issue, who don't even appear Maori, right? And are so nasty and so vindictive and so like your friend that you spoke to, so filled with hate. It must be so upsetting for you because they're like giving Maori a bad name. And I think that's the part that we've got to move away from, this group thing, you know, that, and, and that was the reason I stood up for Hobson's Pledge, is this idea that someone can claim to speak for me and I haven't mm. given them authority to speak for me. This idea that individuals, and I think we've just got to go back to those people speak for themselves. They have no authority to speak for anyone else. Good they can do they can try and take ownership or possession of of an ethnicity of a of a but they don't they speak for themselves and and they will be seen for what they are they will be seen not by what they say but what they've done what they've delivered what they've achieved how have they helped anybody um and and eventually i believe that 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 will out well there you have it listeners ladies and gentlemen uh, you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Rally Check Radio. You can text me at 2057 or email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio. There you have a very wonderful person, a very wonderful Kiwi, who's been through the fire and been tested many, many times over, both within the police, but publicly with husband's pledge. We know exactly what her principles are. And she's standing for parliament. And for me, it gives me hope for this election and a reason to look forward to this election. This one lady standing has made a difference to me. And when I got her email that she wasn't in Hobson Pledge anymore, I was so bitterly upset. And then I saw the next thing that she's standing for Parliament. I didn't even care who for, but I just bounced for joy. So there we have it. That was the wonderful, the uh, uplifting Casey Costello who I hope will still come on our show. I'm sure she will. And no longer as Hobson's Pledge spokesperson, but as a candidate for the New Zealand Parliament with all the right values. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
people are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic and I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all this separation do we end up bringing people together again and what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You'll recall that we've had last week Bob McCroskey on. And remember, he has got a petition up and running. Please go to it and sign it. It's a wonderful uh, petition, simply to define what is a woman, because you recall Chris Hipkins doesn't know. Um, He hadn't pre-formulated an answer when Sean Plunkett questioned him, what is a woman? And he stuttered and stammered. And then said, oh, you can just choose uh, to be, but, you know, you should really put it on notice if you're going to ask me uh, tricky questions like that. And, of course, for some reason, this has become such a thing because, as it stands, you can change your birth certificate. You could be a man. You can just change your birth certificate that you were born a girl, baby girl. You You were a baby girl, not a baby boy. How could they get that so wrong? Your true gender soul is to be a girl and then a woman, not a boy as they misgendered you because you had a penis. (sighs) Amazing. Now, Bob McCroskey was going to do something about this, is doing something about it. So go to Family First, hook across to his uh, petition. And he got the newspapers to agree to run full-page ads explaining that what a woman is and to support his petition and have it defined in law that a woman is an adult human female. And this is significant because at the moment, if a man says he's a woman, he gains access to women's sports and girls' toilets which is disgusting to me and totally unacceptable. And I have nothing against someone who wants to be trans and dress as a woman until, as a man, they want to access my girl's toilets. That ain't going to happen. Not while I'm around, not while I'm breathing, because it's wrong. That trans woman, not woman. Now, the ODT, think of this. 
the Otago Daily Times, the most conservative newspaper in New Zealand. Dunedin, the most conservative city in New Zealand. Traditional. Christian. Solid. Dependable. Well, the Otago Daily Times refused to take the ad because it was against their values and sensitive. Well, the other day at the weekend, they did a cover story and they explained why they wouldn't take Bob's ad. And it's extraordinary. Let me share it with you. This cover story is written by a guy called Tom McKinley, who's long-time writer for the Otago Daily Times, and it's headed up with haters are going to hate. And there are two big pictures in it. One's this dreadful drag queen reading a story to these little kids in America, in California. What that's got to do with it, I don't know. The humorous thing is these kids are all sitting there obediently with masks over their face while this drag queen reads them a story. And like, why do drag queens want to read to little kids books? What is that about? Like, that's a bit quirky, isn't it? Oh, no, nanas can go into the library and read books, but why would a drag queen do that? Why would you want a drag queen, who's so obviously a drag queen, so out there, as it were, reading to kids? What are they trying to achieve? It's not a good look. And then we have another picture, and it's the Proud Boys brawling, supposedly, after the Trump rally. And this all relates to Bob McCoskey saying he wants it defined in law in New Zealand that a woman is an adult human female. And our friend Tom in the Otago Daily Times starts off by saying, well, couldn't happen here, could it? You know, what's happening in Uganda, where you're in Uganda, apparently, homosexual acts there now carry the death penalty. So think about this. We start off with Uganda, where homosexual acts carry the death penalty. We've got these American pictures and it's all linked back to Bob McCoskey wanting to have it legislatively de de uh, defined what a woman is. And Tom McKinley in the Otago Daily Times write, and yet a conservative faith-based group this week's launched a new website in New Zealand targeting the transgender community. No, he didn't. He launched a website and a petition to support women. And to the extent he targeted the transgender community, it's simply to say that they shouldn't be allowed entry to girls' sports, to women's sports, to girls' toilets, to women's toilets, to girls' changing rooms, to women's changing rooms, to women's prisons, girls' prisons, girls' spaces, women's spaces, the spaces private to women shouldn't be open to trans women. 
which I think is true. I don't want my girls in the changing room with a man with a penis. Full stop. I want to know, they should be allowed in there. They can say they're trans and huff and puff till they're blue in the face. They still shouldn't have access to girls' and women's private spaces or sports because they're men. That's why we call them trans women. But because of that, the Otago Daily Times comes out and says this is this attack that Bob McCroskey's doing because we are, quote, narrowly defining what it is to be a woman. Well, it is a narrow definition because to be a woman is to have all the woman parts and to be womanly, and in particular to have every cell in your body by your gametes to be XY chromosome. Every cell in your body, that's what makes you a woman. And a man is XX. And it is a very narrow definition, biologically, and in every society, to New Zealand circa 2023. The Otago Daily Times doesn't make the case that Bob McCroskey is wrong. It just says he's so wrong, and he's up there with Uganda, where they kill homosexuals. And they go on to say that people like Bob McCroskey, and I guess me, that we rail against, quote, gender ideology in schools and implying children will be in danger in the nation's changing rooms. Well, I rage against gender ideology because I don't want my eight and ten-year-old kids being told by the school that my son could really be a girl and that my girl could really be a boy, and the boy sitting next to them could really be a girl. Because I think it's hard enough to be a young kid at the best of times, it's particularly hard now, and it's incredibly confusing to be mixing up boys and girls in little kids' heads. So I don't want that gender ideology. I don't think it is possible. I accept that some people on becoming adults, want to live as a woman, some men, and maybe some women want to live in a, as a man. Fine, they can live as they choose. But why are you pushing that on eight-year-olds and ten-year-olds? Why are you sexualizing them? Why are you even talking about these things to my kids at school? My kids want to be kids. I want my kids to be kids. They don't want to be confronting this. And yet here we are. And of course, the trans activists are targeting the kids because they say that if you're being misgendered, if you were born in the wrong body, then it's very important that you transition before puberty 
because you can be put on puberty blockers and be surgically improved. You can have gender-affirming care, which, if you're a boy, means to cut your penis and castrate you. And if you're a girl, means to be on puberty blockers and have a mastectomy. That's what gender-affirming care means. Child mutilation. And so they're targeting all kids in our schools. So yes, I'm dead against that gender ideology in our schools because it is an ideology. It's not science. It's not reality. It's a mad set of ideas. And what is to stop a pedophile from saying they're a woman and accessing girls' toilets? There's nothing now. You can't even stop it by law. And so how can we ensure that our girls are safe? Our women are safe, our mothers are safe, our wives are safe. Because when they go into that toilet, when they go into that changing room, there could be a man there. And that has already happened in New Zealand. Not just a man there, but a man sexually aroused there. But we are the ones at fault. We are the ones at wrong. Why? Because to say that is to attack the transgender community. Oh, and it goes on. We have a view, apparently, that men should be the head of the household, the nuclear family, heterosexual couples. The man is the head of the household and does the decision-making. <laughs> they don't know what a family is, right? What, men does, what man does the decision-making since forever? Masculine men making decisions and women being supportive of that. This is an entirely straw man, if I may, or straw person, if I may coin a phrase. But this is the Otago Daily Times saying this. And this core belief that women should be home-raising children allows them to link to the likes of the neo-Nazi groups which tend to share a social conservatism. Huh. So Bob McCoskey and me, we're linked to Nazis. Why? Because we think men and women are different biologically, different because that's how God made us. Different, because that's where so much beauty and love and joy comes from. And different, because that's where our children come from and the next generation. And yes, we do think that's foundational to society. but. According to the cover story in the Otago Daily Times for Dunedin, that makes us Nazis. It goes on, the same far-right groups in the US. By the way, if you think that 
men and women are biologically different and binary, accepting that there can be trans people, yes. If you think that they're different, and if you think that men, no matter what they wear or say, shouldn't be allowed into the girls' changing area, then you are linked to the same far-right groups in the US who are involved in storming the capital and who also have a history of attacking trans people in the street and crashing drag story time sessions to hurl abuse. And the Otago Daily Times goes on to say, it is shades of Nazi Germany in the 1930s. So, that conservative place, Dunedin, the most conservative city in New Zealand, that most conservative newspapers won't run Bob McCroskey's ads, won't take his money so that people can read about what's at stake here and sign the petition to ask that the parliament define woman as adult human female to help the Prime Minister out, I guess, if he's ever asked, won't support that. Not that they just disagree with that. They won't run the ad. Because to do so is to support hate speech. Because haters are going to hate. It's to support people who want to erase trans people and commit genocide and rain down hate on our young people, and it's to support Nazis. And yet here we are, wanting to support motherhood, women, our daughters, to revere them, to respect them, to love them, to protect them, to be manly and to be masculine. And we are the bad ones. And to the Otago Daily Times and to Tom McKinley, it's the good people who are saying that, yeah, guys, put a frock on. Put a frock on and you can go into the girls' toilets and their changing rooms. Yeah, just put a frock on. You can do that. Say you're trans and you can go into the girls' cricket team, soccer team netball team, have a great weekend away at school with the girls. It's a bit creepy. Very creepy. That's where the Otago Daily Times is at. It's real talk. It's Rodney Hyde on Rally Check Radio. Please send me a text, 2057. Send me an email, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Thank you so much. What a world. Thank God we've got Bob Wachowski and Kiwis prepared to put their names forward standing up against this nonsense. And thank God that we're seeing through it and wondering what is wrong with the Otago Daily Times? Seriously, what is wrong with them? And why are they disrespecting us who can see the difference between a man and a woman? and respect and love that difference.
You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, you can email me at inbox at reallycheck.radio. Send us a text at 2057. Oh, we've got a wonderful uh, session coming up now. We've got Jonathan Ailing, the Chief Executive of the Free Speech Union. Good morning, Jonathan. Hi there, Rodney. Did I say your name correctly, your surname? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Where does Ailing come from? Well, um, Welsh, but I don't know. I don't know if it's a it's a Welsh name. It's it's a good question. It's not a very common last name, is it? No. Uh, but um, g- good, good uh, Anglo-Saxon um, uh, stock there. My, my ancestors were Welsh. I, I don't know very much more than that. Well, we love Anglo-Saxon. We love all the Anglo-Saxons' w- words. They're always clear, and and you know anyone that speaks good Anglo-Saxon speaks so clearly and so well. So wonderful set of words in the English language. Now, Jonathan, you've taken on the lead role in defending free speech in New Zealand, which is something that a little while ago we'd never thought was needed. No, that's right. And and even if it were needed, you would hope others were stepping into that space, uh, like our Chief Human Rights Commissioner, who are, I would imagine this should be squarely on their agenda. Whereas, unfortunately, it's a number of the very parties that are supposed to be most invested in the democratic rights and civil liberties and, and human rights of their population that are, that are the ones infringing it. And so, uh, unfortunately, it's the Minister of Justice and the and the Chief Human Rights Commissioner, who has uh, attempted to bring legislation forward, which would curtail Kiwi's free rights. It's our um, De- Minister of the Department of Internal Affairs, who is now looking to uh, silence speech online. Social media is in for an entire overhaul. And uh, as I think we're going to discuss here, it, it is the academy uh, and the university which has turned its back on the ideals of liberal education and, and, and free discourse, and some within their midst who are the chief architects of a future censorship regime. That's extraordinary. Uh, where do you think it's coming from, Jonathan? There's there's a number of reasons, uh, and and it's not it's certainly not simply at play here within New Zealand across. Uh, specifically the Anglosphere, but even more broadly across the West, we see uh, many of the Enlightenment values that um, that we've come to take for granted that have been crucial for the liberal expression of democracy that we have in countries like New Zealand. There have been uh, real steps taken against them in, over the past 20 years. Now, now a, a, a very curtailed answer to that would be, you know, um, what, what would be referred to as woke Ideologies, but maybe let's scratch below the surface and and look at what uh, some of the the key aspects of those perspectives are. And I would say that there is um, there's an important point to be drawn around identitarian lines. And so that's that's a bit of a nerdy word. And what I mean by that is uh, this way of thinking, which has become increasingly popular, where we are defined more by the various identity groups we form part of. Uh, rather than individuals uh, as ourselves. And so this is why we now uh, seem to think that our, our particular race or our gender or our sexuality or our um, uh, political preferences or whatever these are might uh, have a more important role in, in what we think and how we feel and, and the values that we have in life than anything we just carry as individuals. 
And the, the basis of the Enlightenment uh, was that the smallest minority is the individual, that, that, that we uh, each think differently, we each feel differently, regardless of uh, our, our gender or our race. And we each have life experience that is valid and we have opinions that should be able to be heard. And uh, what we see is a real refusal to acknowledge any in-group diversity or in-group variance within these collectives that uh, we now place such important value on. And so you ask, where does uh, this opposition to free speech come from? It comes from the fact that I think we have become increasingly suspicious or outright antagonistic to the fact that uh, people should be able to counter our perspectives because we no longer learn and we no longer grow because we're challenged. We, uh, we learn and we grow because we are part of an amorphous group that, that privileges us in way, one way or the, uh, the other. And I, I find this to be a very uh, toxic way of thinking. It's very destructive to the uh, liberal values that have formed the foundations of many countries, particularly those across the West. And I think that is what we are coming up um, really to counter at the moment. Well, it's a nasty thing because we're all pigeonholed and then we're pigeonholed and one people in one pigeonhole are powerful in the oppressors and everyone else is the oppressed, I, the way I see the way it's going, and that language is the tool of the oppressors. That, that's and, right. And, and if you can control the language, you can control the debate in every meaningful way. And, that's and why we see I, that now every day. That's right. And I would encourage your listeners then to not let uh, their opponents control the language that they use. Don't, don't give them that kind of power uh, because, and, 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 and uh, you know, I would agree with your listeners on some issues, I'm sure. I disagree with them on other issues, I'm sure. Uh, even your listeners are not an amorphous group. They would agree and disagree amongst themselves. But what we have to do is retain the right to be able to express ourselves openly and freely in the manner that, and, and by that I mean with the words and the language, that is consistent with the arguments that we're putting forward. And this is where um, regulation, whether it, whether it be from governments or from universities or media councils or whatever it is that, that require certain language to be used or certain words to contain only certain meaning, um, is where they can very much then come in and control the entire difference that we're trying to address. It's quite a pernicious uh, issue to have to, um, to face up against. I am uh, fortunate enough to be on the Free Speech Union's email list. And I have to say the emails that you send out, Jonathan, are fantastic. And we all get these various regular emails and they often, you start, oh, I can't be bothered. But I always enjoy yours. And I'd encourage listeners to go to the Free Speech Union and sign up. But this is what really got me going. There's two things I'd like to talk about. I hope we have time for both. But I got this email from you, and it's very kind because it's addressed to me, dear Rodney. But you quote Kate, Kate, Kate Hanna, and this is in a podcast released, would you believe it, by Radio New Zealand. And it's they've done this series, a seven-part series uh, you t- explained to me on misinformation, hosted by their broadcaster, Susie Ferguson. And the quote is this, and I want to just read the bit out of it and then have you explain it to us. The quote is this, language 
Oh dear, I just lost it. Language is the first indicator of genocidality. Genocidality, like genocide. And this is a claim made by Kate Hanna in this podcast. And then you say, this is just propaganda. And you have Ferguson adding this. This is Radio New Zealand. It's genocidal because it's about the eradication of a particular group of people. Explain what's going on here, Jonathan. Well, Rodney, uh, somewhat facetiously, I would note from the outset that genocidality actually isn't a word. So I'm just no. going to call Kate Hanna out on that. But far more seriously, because this is a, an incredibly serious issue, what has been proposed here is the fact that language is the same way, is the same thing, rather, as action. So if you disagree with someone, if, if you are... A, a, a centre-right voter disagreeing with a centre-left voter, she is claiming here that as you express those beliefs, as you, uh, as you contend with the opposite's perspective, you are wanting to eradicate their ideas. And if, there are, if their ideas are associated with who they are, then you are wanting to eradicate them. And that is why I would say this notion of identity is one of the most powerful things we can reckon with who are I? Who are we? Who am I? And who? How I identify within myself is what I attach myself to. And so then, if if people are countering the ideas that you identify with, they are not countering the ideas; they are countering you. And so, what Kate Hannah? I'm going to say out loud what she's saying quietly on issues like transgenderism, but not only that. If you disagree with the notion that uh, gender is biologically defined, if you don't accept that a man can uh, transition to be a woman and reflect their truest selves, then you are not only disagreeing with an idea, disagreeing with a perspective, you are wanting to eradicate, you are wanting to commit genocide across an entire people group, not with violence, not by killing anyone, but because according to Kate Hanna, to counter their perspectives is the same thing as wanting to kill them. And it is a remarkably sinister claim to make that to disagree with someone is not only to hate them. We've seen expressions like that before, and the Free Speech Union would consistently insist that to disagree with someone is not necessarily to hate them. It is to disagree with them. And, and mature people can disagree and still remain in relationship. But Kate Hanna's taken it even further than that. And she's saying not only if you disagree with someone, do you hate them? But if you disagree with someone, it is the same thing as wanting them eradicated. And, and you know, I grew up in Mozambique, a country that was deeply troubled by gross atrocities uh, throughout the 80s. I went to school with people who were uh, refugees from the Rwandan genocide, where, of course, we saw what true genocide looks like. And there's a, a, there's a very pernicious manipulation of these examples. I would say Susie Ferguson lists the Rwandan genocide as an example, saying this is how we see that language is uh, the precursor of genocidality. That's why we need to clamp down on ideas that spread hate. Well, actually, what we see is that uh, countries that have more regulation of speech 
And that is speech when it is about ideas and differences, not speech when it comes to expressing violence. The Free Speech Union has only ever been entirely clear that the incitement to violence, if you're standing outside a Jewish person's house saying, let's burn the house down, you should absolutely fall afoul of the strictest measures of the law. But if you are discussing ideas and you are not inciting imminent harm, then you are protected by free speech. This is one of the basic tenets of liberal democracies. And we've found through, through regular research, but one particular um, study that came out of Denmark in 2020, it looked at countries, it looked at over 160 countries from the 1970s through to the 2020s. And it looked at examples of democracies where they had speech restrictions and those that didn't. And there is a direct correlation between countries that have speech restrictions and political violence and those countries that do not have those speech restrictions and less political violence. And there's a very straightforward reason for that, Rodney, if we are willing to think about it for a moment. It's because once you take speech off the table, you do not deal with the differences that we have within our society. Every society, whether we like it or not, will have differences. And I would say it is a very unhealthy thing if our society had no differences. But be that the case or not, our societies will inevitably have differences within them. So will we deal with those differences by inviting the state to pick a winner, to slam its fist on the table and say, and you better get in line? Or do we deal with those differences through one-on-one relationships within our communities, through organic dialogue, through, through speech and reason? And, and it makes sense that if you take speech off the table, the differences are not dealt with, but a, a peaceful form of addressing them is. And that is why I'm concerned with the steps that this government has taken to, to undermine free speech. Thankfully, largely, they have not been successful to date. And I would give the credit entirely to the, to the over 100,000 Kiwis that have stood with us and continue to support our work in ensuring that free speech remains a tenant of Kiwi culture. I would say that Susie Ferguson from RNZ and Kate Hanna have a point that in this election, there is the potential for violence like there hasn't been in previous elections because the government has continued to chip away at our cultural value of free speech, sowing fear, sowing distrust, sowing division around the ideas of if you think differently, then you are my enemy. And unfortunately, well, that is just that that is so divisive. So... Kate Hanna and Susie Ferguson, Kate Hanna receiving taxpayers' money, Susie Ferguson entirely funded by the taxpayer, are saying that anyone that suggests sex is binary and that, yes, you can choose to live as a woman, but you're still a man, biologically, and we worry about men getting ready access to girls' changing rooms, Because we state that and because we're concerned about the protection for girls and women, they position us as being against trans people, opposing trans people, wanting to, quote, get rid of trans people, erase them. Therefore, we would are committing genocide, and you often see this now, we are Nazis. Therefore, we have to be shut down 
because merely by questioning the ideology that says you can transition from a man to a woman and back again, by questioning that, that is the hate speech that they want shut down, right? Absolutely. It is hate speech and, and more pertinent to this podcast's consideration. It is disinformation. Uh, disinformation that they get to determine. And that is, um, it, 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 the irony is entirely lost on, unfortunately, both Susie Ferguson and Kate Hanna, but on, on a host of Kiwis who are buying into this way of thinking. The irony is that disinformation is a term that came out of the Soviet Union. Uh, not long after the Bolshevik Revolution, I believe it was in the 1920s. In the 19, late 1940s, early 1950s, when, when the modern international human rights framework was going forward, it was the Soviet Union that was pushing for hate speech to be prohibited. It was Western countries like the United States that was defending free expression as an indispensable foundation on which all free societies must be built. Lady Bird Johnson, um, the widow of of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who uh, who um, was also present at, at the formation of the United Nations, she said that the clash of ideas is the sound of freedom. And I, I think that is such an apt illustration that, that we must be allowed to contest these perspectives as ideas, as ways of thinking that do not define who we are. It is very medieval, all things considered. If what I think, and in, in, in medieval ages, it may have been the religion that you adhere to, but if, if the opinions that you hold dictate the value that you have in society, how archaic and oppressive is that? And and the but, irony is is lost on many who try and perpetrate a similar structure today. But to everyday people like me, I look at Kate Hanna and Susie Ferguson and what they've said here, and I just think they're insane, right? That they've stepped off reality. And I almost I don't even know how to talk to them or talk with them. And so we Ordinary, everyday people like me, we just go around shaking our head, thinking, what is wrong with them that they could ever get to this point to be saying that? But they appear to genuinely believe it. And let's be clear, they have control of the media. This way of thinking is right through the media, from the owners down to the editors, down to the journalists. It is right through our civil service, as you say, right through the academy, the universities, and right through our government, our political leaders. So this has happened, right? This is everyone with power and a platform is on board with this stuff, happily saying that you and me, uh, they don't say we're like Nazis, they say we are Nazis. I, I agree with you to an extent there, Rodney, though what I consistently try to encourage people to think about is really how power is distributed in a country like ours. And and these these institutions that you referenced, then you're bang on with the ones that you've identified, the academy, the media, parliaments. These are culture-creating institutions. These are the, the institutions within our society that really fabricate the way 
that we think and the values that we have. But that being said, there has been an enormous amount of ground lost by these institutions. Trust in our institutions is at, as far as I know, an all-time low. Mm. And it is because, and this is one of the comments I make in the newsletter that you, you, you were discussing, it is because they have misunderstood their responsibility, which is actually to defend the basic freedoms and the basic liberties of everyday people in New Zealand. They've misunderstood their role as somehow to now become the overlords ideologically of what we should think and say. And so that is why only about 40% of Kiwis readily trust mainstream media. So so there's a lot of people that watch the six o'clock news and that might listen to Susie Ferguson's podcast, but have a real suspicion from the outset as to what they're saying, because they recognize that they have abused their position and that they are abandoning the values that they were created to defend. And so I have more hope in that regard. Uh, Equally, I, I would say the fact that hate speech laws have not passed is a testament to the people power of everyday Kiwis. And if we did it once, we will absolutely be able to do it again. Chris, uh, Chris Farfoy, who was the minister initially in charge of ensuring the uh, hate speech laws went through, of course, before Kerry uh, Tapu Allen took over the helm, which uh, has had its, an ending of its own. But um, Chris Farfoy said that the hate speech laws would be in place by Christmas 2021. Well, I'm very, very pleased that the Free Speech Union, along with another uh, a number of other organisations, we're able to push back against that. And, and, and we continue to push back in the academy. We produce an annual report on, uh, on academic freedom there, which draws a lot of attention as to how academics feel they are able to in, engage in research of their choice and other features of academic. We, we're starting to engage in media a lot more and getting some traction in countering these narratives. So while I agree that these uh, elite institutions have lost their way I don't. I don't want our work to be a doom and gloom mm. enterprise. I believe well, there's there's real hope as well. You had a great win, and we saw the manifestation of this discussion with Posey Parker, Jelly Kelly J King, when she visited New Zealand and spoke in the public square, and it was physically violent physically violent in the sense of people screaming and shouting abuse so she couldn't be heard, and then physical violence where she was assaulted and members of the audience were beaten. Now, this is a direct consequence of this hyperbolic language that you're seeing here from Kate Hanna and Susie Ferguson, where people that whom with whom they disagree uh, are genocidal Nazis, right? Th- that's uh, right. And, and there's an irony in their claims there they're, they're on, on a number of levels. But one of them is, is a famous um, encouragement that Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi minister in, uh, in, in uh, Germany in the late 30s, early 40s, he encouraged his followers to accuse their opponents of the crimes that they committed. And I think mm. that is actually exactly what is occurring here. Yeah. That's, uh, that we, that the, the spokespersons involved here around disinformation are saying that it is a concerted effort to undermine democracy. And yet they are the ones 
that are silencing the voices of everyday Kiwis from being able to speak openly and express themselves. And you know what? Everyday Kiwis don't always get it right. I'm not saying that everyone is saying what is correct. I'm saying they have the rights to be wrong. And the only way that we can find out what we're wrong about is by being able to express it freely and have it challenged. And mm. and so I would say there's, there's an incredible irony that they are accusing people of violence while standing up with exactly communities that, that have in, embraced violence in the past. And you've had a win, the Free Speech Union, with Posey Parker, because you and your members have put pressure on the Independence Police Complaints Authority, making a complaint. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yes, so uh, again, uh, credit goes to the tens of thousands of Kiwis that stood with us. Within within really uh, two or three days, it was about 72 hours following the Albert Park affair where Kelly J. King Minshaw was there, we had a public letter signed almost 25,000 times that called uh, for the police commissioner and the police minister to address that uh, that consider that concerning um, uh, experience for many people there, and and shortly after that, we were invited to meet with the police commissioner. We appreciated that, and uh, we'll again be meeting with the district commanders across the country uh, next month to continue our engagement to ensure that free speech is at the forefront of their concerns. But we're also very pleased that the Independent Police Conduct Authority is conducting a review into the inaction of police at that uh, at that event. And I was there at the back observing it, and uh, the police were largely at the back of that event as well. And I heard a woman come up and say, Posey Parker is in the rotunda and she can't escape. You have to help her. And the policeman said, she's in a public space. If she doesn't feel safe, she needs to leave. And that is a simply unacceptable comment for, from a police officer. And the opposite of really the purpose of police. The role of, of police is to ensure that law-abiding citizens and, and those conducting lawful activity are able to go about their business not being harassed by those who are conducting themselves in unlawful ways. And so for them to say she needs to leave if she feels unsafe, it was the opposite of what really should have happened there. And it wasn't, it didn't take a genius to figure out that there was going to be a conflict there. Now, Allow me to be clear, the Free Speech Union absolutely stands up for the, the right to protest of the counter-protesters. And so actually we had prepared for that event, ready to go and defend the rights of those who were challenging Kelly J. Keen Minshaw. They have a right to have their voices expressed and heard as well, but not through intimidation and violence. And that is where the line for free speech was crossed and the police needed to insert themselves. And they didn't. And that is where the IPCA uh, complaint was lodged and why we need to see it addressed. Equally, uh, on the same day that uh, the podcast that we're discussing was initially dropped, uh, Kelly J. King Minshall actually announced that she will be returning to New Zealand in September. And we are certain that just like last time when she intended to come, there will be a legal challenge where uh, the Minister of Immigration will be asked and called upon to 
deny her entry into the country. In in March, when she came to New Zealand the first time, the Free Speech Union uh, joined as interveners in that court case and argued in favour of her speech rights. But not only her speech rights, the speech rights of, of Kiwis who want to hear from her as well. So free speech doesn't only guarantee you the right to speak, it guarantees you the right to hear other people speak. And, and hear their perspective and opinions. And that was one of the features that was denied in March when she first came. And so we will, again, be uh, fighting in court if necessary, and we have a strong suspicion it will be necessary, to give uh, those Kiwis the right to hear her ideas and allow her entry into the country. It's, it's a remarkably dangerous precedent for us to set that we would deny people access based on their political views on an issue like this that is so considerably contested in our society. Yes, well, I would allow a Holocaust denier into New Zealand. And here, so I'm a free speech, probably like you, absolutist. Uh, of course, we know the limits. Um, and they're sort of like a taught limit. And we know the need to protect children. But for everything else, um, you let people express their views. Why? Because they're an individual human being. And uh, if they can be stopped, then so can I and so can you. Uh -huh. So we understand that perfectly. But, the, of course, the crazy thing about um, Kelly J. Keen Mintzel, thank you for helping me with her name, um, is her actual claims are unbelievably modest. You know, her, her, her point, as I follow it, because it's been very, very hard through the hubbub and the noise, to get to what she's saying is to simply say, look, trans people can do their thing. We live in a free world, but we need to protect uh, women's sports and women's private spaces, full stop, for men. And that seems a very, very reasonable point. It's not like you're out on the edge trying to dis defend someone who's saying something that uh, is off. And even then we wouldn't. We'd defend their right to say something that's off. But this is extraordinary that in the media and in the lead up to her visit and what you're seeing here with Kate Hanna and Susie Ferguson is that she's a genocidal Nazi. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'll, I'll let you hold your point there, Rodney, uh, with regards to whether these views are controversial or not. I don't feel that that's even even. The, the, so let me be clear. Not, yeah, no, you're quite right. It's not even an issue. I guess that well, I agree with you. Well, uh, no, and 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 you you may make that claim. That's certainly not my claim. To those who identify uh, with the transgender community, whether as transgender people themselves or or what they might call allies, this is a significant issue. And 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 I'm I'm not going to take a step. You know, your many of your viewers probably don't view Kelly J. Keen Mitchell's claims as provocative or controversial in the slightest, and they have every right to view it that way. For those that do view these claims as very controversial and very problematic. I, I don't want to diminish their rights to disagree fundamentally and in totality with her claims. If they, if they want to view them as, as hyper-controversial, that is fine. We, we must still allow her to speak. And so, um, you know, you, you, fair enough, you're speaking from your perspective, Rodney, and, and absolutely you have every right to do that, uh, that, that you're saying from your values and your perspective, these views are not controversial. Wonderful. Um, for others, though, 
I can see why they are very controversial. And so I, I wouldn't, as I think you were saying, uh, even, you were saying even if they were controversial, we wouldn't silence them. And that's right. I would say um, the, the, the definition of a controversial issue means that some people will consider a statement entirely self-evident and others will consider it very, very problematic. Very, very fair and very well made point. Thank you, Jonathan. That was a wonderfully made point. Um, and of course, it's around controversial matters that free speech matters. That's right. It doesn't matter where we all agree. No, and 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 that's where I think we, uh, largely as a, as a culture and as a society, we have entirely lost uh, the 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 point of free speech. Um, and uh, and so what we need to remember is exactly that that free speech defends the right for providing provocative and problematic statements, not, mm. not the ones we, we, we mm. disagree on. And a point that I, I relish in making is the fact that free speech defends the powerless and the marginalized, not the powerful. And, and what critics of free speech like Kate Hanna often say is that uh, free speech is used as a big stick to beat down the powerless. But in reality, you know, let, let, let's, let's concede Kate Hanna's point for a moment that straight white men uh, benefit from patriarchy and, and colonialism to such an extent that they are necessarily powerful and privileged. Let, let, let's accept that for one moment. If that were true, why would straight white men need free speech? We, yes. we have privilege and power. We, we, we could simply resort to our wealth and, 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 and connections rather than appeal to a cultural value that says everyone should be allowed to speak. On the contrary, it's those who don't have power it's those who have no other, uh, no no other rope to climb, no no other lever to pull, other than insisting that it is a liberal democratic value that even the most powerless, even the most downtrodden, should still be allowed to speak freely. And so this is where it is actually a very authoritarian and a very elitist um, way of, of 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 thinking to say that we must limit free speech on behalf of the marginalised. Yes. What we're doing there is actually harming a cultural value that, first of all, protects the marginalized. It was Jonathan Rauch, the, the, the famous American journalist, who said, uh, and a member of a minority group he is himself, he said, free speech is not minorities' best friend. Free speech is minorities' only friend. And I think that that illustrates very well the fact that if we if we take away, even in the name of minority groups, the belief in a society that we should be allowed to express ourselves freely. The people we do the greatest disservice to are those that will not be able to speak now because they cannot appeal to privilege or power. Well, Jonathan, you're a very wonderful and articulate spokesperson. Very, very uh, great insight and intelligence. Able even in full flight to correct your the humble host here. Uh, your emails are erudite and uh, wonderful to receive. How do listeners sign up to get your, what are they, weekly, Jonathan? You put them out or irregularly? We, 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 regularly. We put them out as as we feel like we have something interesting that our people would want to hear. Okay, and how, I, do, how do listeners get a hold of those emails? The best way to access that would be by making a submission at freespeechsubmission.com. Freespeechsubmission.com. That is where we're currently running submissions against the Department of Internal Affairs amendments to reform our censorship regime. And we haven't had a chance to discuss this yet, uh, Rodney, but I've discussed it with Paul previously. Yes. That 
At the moment, DIA is proposing to regulate social media in a way that censorship has never imagined in New Zealand. And and whether whether DIA want to uh, admit it or not, what they are proposing is the greatest extension of censorship New Zealand would have ever seen. And we've just released this morning polling that shows only 25% of Kiwis are aware of the uh, reforms that the Department of Internal Affairs is currently proposing. So it's very important we get the word out and that well, we encourage submissions. So that's that's through till next Monday, through to the end of the month. Uh, we've set up a website where you can do a submission through our tool there in less than five minutes. And by doing that submission, you will also land on our email list and, and receive those regular updates from us. Okay. Jonathan, if you get a spare hour over that submission period, drop me a note. And we'll spend an hour where you walk us through what the Department of Internal Affairs is proposing for the regulation of social media. So we've all got a good understanding and can all sign up uh, that petition. Would you do that for us? Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, Rodney. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan, That was Jonathan Ayling, the Chief Executive of the Free Speech Union, wonderful organisation. Shocking that it's even needed, but as you can tell, a man that's up for the fight and more than able to make the case. You're on uh, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's Reality Check Radio. Thank you for listening. Again, that was Jonathan Ailing from the Free Speech Union. Man, oh, man, he's good. Uh, thank you for listening. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And that was Jonathan Ailing from the Free Speech Union. And there you have it. Who would have believed it? Free speech under threat here in New Zealand. Submissions close Monday. We've got to stop it, ladies and gentlemen. So let's reach out to everyone and make a submission. Uh, the wonderful, the magical uh, Katie Ashby Copens, a uh, fantastic person. She's put together some helpful tips for submission on these online censorship laws. Let me please play the short public service announcement, which explains, which has her explaining how easy it is to lodge submissions. Take it away, Katie. Hi, I'm Katie Ashby-Coppins. You may have heard me on Reality Check Radio's Legal Hub on breakfast on Wednesday mornings. This is a public service announcement to remind you that feedback on the government's proposal as outlined in the Safer Online Services and Media Platforms consultation document is due Monday, 31 July 2023. Now, given that mouthful, I prefer to call the proposals by what they really are online censorship laws. What is being proposed is a serious threat to free speech. These online censorship laws, if enacted, would effectively make certain speech illegal under the guise of keeping us safe. Now, we've done the heavy lifting so you don't have to. We've summarised the proposals, we've outlined how the censorship laws will impact on free speech, and we've let you know how you can have your say. Our easy-to-use submission template means that for as little as five minutes of your time before the end of this month, you can make your voice heard. Visit www.defendfreespeech.co.nz today. That's www.defendfreespeech, or one word, .co.nz. Make no mistake, these proposals are squarely aimed at media organisations like Reality Check Radio. Free speech is a fundamental human right and is under serious attack. Without free speech, we are not free. Please take action today. Do it for yourself, but also do it for our future generations. Visit www.defendfreespeech.co.nz today. Thank you.
www.realtalkradio.co.nz to learn more. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And oh, we've got the great part. I know, I know, I always say this, but I do love your feedback and your emails and your contributions and your suggestions. And yes, even your criticisms. And you can add to it at inbox at rallycheck.radio or text me at 2057. Uh, this one is, oh, yes. Love the show, Rodney. Hey, I just wrote into the RCR mail. I've put out a challenge to you. They're going to give a hundred. He's going to give one hundred fifty dollars to RCR if we watch six documentaries set out. I will watch them. If people send me stuff, I try and watch it. But I just got to tell you, it's all backed up, and you don't need to send money for me to watch something. Um, I enjoy what readers. And list, sorry, readers, listeners send in um, very much. Uh, I just have to say, I've been a bit overwhelmed of late, but I'm hoping to catch up. Uh, hi, Rodney. I really enjoyed your discussion with Ashley Church. Thank you. It was very thought provoking and in many ways challenging. Thanks for the great shows you do. I look forward to each one from Craig. Nice. And here's one from Esther. It was wonderful listening to your show with Ashley Church and congratulations to your becoming a Christian and coming right out and saying it. Well, I actually, after talking to Ashley um, now further, I think I've got a wee way to go, but I'm working on it. I remember when you were talking to Bob McCroskey, you were still thinking about it. A question for you. On what show did you talk to Trevor Loudon? Oh, that was right at the start, but it should be... um, it should be in the backup. You should be able to find it. And then she says her husband and I started the Climate Realist Network New Zealand a number of years ago, and we presented a petition or two to you when you were still in Parliament, met you at the field days. But I wonder if you remember. Yes, I do remember you, Esther, and your husband very, very well. You did such great work. Man, we thought we were fighting nonsense then on climate change. Boy. That was small bear compared to what we're up against now, and still we're fighting that climate change uh, nonsense. This is from Linda. I've just listened to your interview with Ashley Church and was very interested in what he had to say, but want to congratulate you on the interview and the numerous spot-on points that you made. These also included the comments you made around COVID. Congratulations for standing up for the truth. Also, despite your comment, you didn't hide during COVID. I was very impressed with the articles you wrote. And of course, you went to the protest. When you concluded the interview by mentioning we're all blessed by, my thought was that we're extremely blessed to have you, Rodney, and all you're standing up for. Well, thank you for that very, very much. That's very touching. I think we're blessed to have each other um, because we're together, connected through the radio show. Uh, Julian suggested someone for me to interview. I've got that coming. If media will not take up the advertising revenue, they should not be receiving any government funding, cancel the government funding. Yes, indeed. That was all the newspapers, remember, refusing to take money off Bob McCroskey, who wanted to advertise his petition that we legally define woman as an adult human female. (laughs) That's hate speech. Excellent interview between Rodney and Ashley Church. Thank you. Just signed the What is a Woman petition. Thanks for your work. This should never have come to this. Imported American WFBS, quite. Yes, Rodney, there was a coup. In 1996, the Crown New Zealand government became a foreign-owned corporation. 
Well, I don't know. I think I think the coup was deeper and bigger. Uh, look at the State Owned Enterprises Act. Hi, Rodney. Thank you for this morning's interview with Bob McCroskey. I just wish us, yeah, and this information was reaching the team of 5 million who seem to be sleepwalking New Zealand over a cliff while we're working on that. Your teacher was right. The Marxists are well entrenched and they are indoctrinating our children. Uh, hey, Rodney, I'm keen to even up the 1080 debate if that's possible. Thanks, Todd. Of course, Todd, I will try and connect with you. Um, that'd be great. Rodney, read your talk with Ashley. Luxon couldn't possibly be a Christian. Look at his actions and inactions. Shocking. Mandatory jabs, friends with Gates, not meeting protesters. He's proved himself to be a liar and is part of the cabal as all in Parliament are. Well, they certainly haven't been standing up for our basic rights, have they? And they've all hunted as a pack to denigrate us and to take away our most precious and fundamental rights, like the freedom to move, the freedom to associate, the freedom to go to work and open a business. Oh, my God, it's a long list. I'm enjoying your work, Rodney. Great to hear Joe Mackey talking about sun cycles. As you're probably aware, that is a real issue, and preparing for calling is what we need to be doing. Uh uh, something that I thought was important to add to the discussion for New Zealand is the expected effects of another calling period. Well, indeed, that's what Joe uh, was saying to us. Another way to look into it is that Captain Cook essentially arrived here at the end of the Monda minimum. The accounts of the Cook voyage and of tribal history should give us a reasonable indication as to how New Zealand might be affected. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Uh, hi, Rodney. Listening to your talk with Alwyn Paul regarding how the curriculum is being applied in schools, thankfully my kids are out of the New Zealand system, but if they were still there, I'd be going homeschooling. But that brought another thought. I do not now know how homeschooling works, but does this level of work education apply there too? That brought another thought. If I was living in, say, Saudi Arabia and using the New Zealand correspondence school system, how would I get on if there's the kind of work material which would be against their laws. Maybe worth pursuing, Derek. It is weird, isn't it? Goodness me, I don't know. Uh, here's from Graham. I'm reading Ewan McKean's book, One Thun in the Sky. Wonderful book. So I decided to listen to Rodney's interview of Ewan. However, I got very frustrated by the number of times Rodney interrupted Ewan when he was in full stride on a particular topic of the book. I apologize. This often put Ewan off his stride, and then he never finished the topic he was on before being interrupted because Rodney had steered him sideways. The last straw for me came when Ewan was in full stride on something really interesting, and Rodney interrupted him in the middle of it yet again just to reintroduce Ewan to the listeners when he could have at least waited until he was finished the topic he was on. I was so frustrated, I just couldn't care on listening and turned it off. Graham. Well, I'm sorry, Graham, but that was when I was a um, trainee interviewer. I'm graduating up to be semi-professional now and hopefully much better. Read your interview with Ashley Church, a topic of worthy discussion. Thank you, but please bear in mind the following and forward this to Ashley. And there are various quotes from the Bible. Thank you for that. Long quotes. I can't read it all. Uh for Margaret, COVID was a psychological operation, wasn't it just? Please consider watching this comprehensive investigation into that fraud. I will do when I get time. 
Uh, I hear that Sir Roger Douglas has said he is now a floating voter. From what I understand, he thinks that Act no longer stand for what they did when founded. I'd like to hear your take on this. Also, I wonder if there's any chance you could interview Sir Roger Douglas on RCR. I'd love to hear that conversation. Okay, I'll look into that. Thanks, Simon. To be fair to Roger, uh, <laughs> when we founded Act within a week, uh, he felt we'd lost our way. Um, such as is Roger. Um, hi, Rodney. Thanks so much for the fascinating interview with you and Ashley Church this week. I just love that you guys talked about so many different perspectives and not always agreeing, but keeping the debate going. We so need to hear different points of view so we can all make up our own minds. My favorite quote from the interview was you saying, you can't park your Christianity for your day job when referring to Chris Luxon. You also mentioned about taking on Christian values that have been lost over the years. I thought of you as I read my Bible this week. I've been reading in John's Gospel. That's one of the four that I need to read. I don't know if many people know that it was Jesus who said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Isn't that amazing? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Beautiful words, beautiful thought. It is preceded by, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. There are a number of us in Voices for Freedom praying for truth to return to our nation. Being disciples of Jesus is a really good place to start, regardless how everything turns out. Keep up the amazing work interviewing folks with an open honesty. We also really appreciated the interview with Patrick McCarthy and the man from Tokelau, Darwin. Thank you so much. And what a wonderful piece of scripture. Thank you so much. I'm so blessed to have listeners who send me emails and texts. And I do take the criticisms on board. And I think that's improving me. I'm being a better interview for you. Uh, Lovely friends and listeners, you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. This is Reality Check Radio. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, you can text me at 2057. Send me an email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Thank you so much for listening. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. So, Kerry Allen. Minister of Justice. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Crashed a car over the limit. Cabinet minister. Put lives at risk. Could have killed someone. An innocent person. This is... I mean... Oh, my goodness. The, the, the government has been for years and years and years, quite rightly, against drink driving and probably overly ambitious trying to run for zero road accidents and a cabinet minister's drinking and driving crashed a car. So fortunate no one was hurt or worse. And then refused to accompany the police. Imagine the problem they have. They've got a cabinet minister. I mean, their boss crashed a car 
over the limit, refusing to go with them. It's worse, she's a Minister of Justice. Numero uno, powerful person in New Zealand in the justice system, breaking the law, not in a little way, in a big way, putting lives at risk, and then refusing to accompany a police officer. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is the government that got all upset because protesters stood outside Parliament and wouldn't leave when trespassed. And they have a cabinet minister drinking and driving over the limit, crashing, and then refusing to go with the police when asked to. It's usual at this point for someone to say, oh, I do help, you know, she's okay, and that she's getting cared for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Kerry Allen put herself forward for Parliament and said she was just the person for the job and campaigned to do so. Her colleagues and her party said she was just the person that we needed. Now, I get that we make mistakes, but this is a person who put herself into this position. She got to Parliament, which is the most privileged thing in New Zealand for 120 MPs, to be in our Parliament making the laws and to be debating the issues that affect us and confront us and to giving New Zealand its direction and making our future for us. Oh my goodness, she made it to Cabinet. Cabinet is where the power lies. Cabinet is the group of people sitting around the table deciding what the New Zealand government, on behalf of the New Zealand people, is going to do. Deciding the laws that they will enforce, literally at the point of a gun, and to make us comply with. She was a cabinet minister. She said she was up for that job. She swore an oath. And her colleagues and the prime minister said she was up for the job. She goes out, drinks, drives, crashes. Over the legal limit, refuses to accompany the police. Absolutely disgusting. Now, where has been the apology? Not one. Not an apology that I have seen from her, from the Prime Minister, from her colleagues. It's all been about, oh, yes, no, not up to the standard, but mental health. We hope she's getting looked after. Oh, we care for her. Well, what about the rest of us? She was supposed to be working and making decisions for us, 
And if she's not up for the job, she shouldn't have been there. She wouldn't have been in this predicament. How crazy is this? Like, if I'm working somewhere, driving a truck, working on a construction site, and I'm not up for the job, I get moved along. Or if I don't think I'm up for the job, I move myself along. That's how the world works. But here's a position. Here's a person in a position, sorry, of enormous power and enormous say over us. Not fit for the job. And are we seriously saying that her colleagues, the Prime Minister, weren't checking whether she's up for the job? I mean, clearly she wasn't. But they had her there. Why? I mean, they're managing without her fine now, apparently. Why did they have her there? And here's the truly crazy thing. So privileged is a minister's position that they have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week limo service. No reason need to be given. Just ring and a car appears. And yet here she was, driving along, having had a few drinks, and she crashed a car. I feel for anyone that's in a personal space of trouble. I don't feel for someone who's put themselves into a leadership position by choice, who have been supported by their colleagues into this position, and who have let each and every one of us down and our country down. I would like to see a bit of humility from her and from her colleagues and the Prime Minister. And I would like to see an apology to her and to us because clearly they made a mistake. I mean, what sort of signal is it sending our children? How does it make us feel about our country? And yet all we're hearing are excuses, not an acceptance of responsibility. And this is from a person and a government that has all the power in New Zealand and will accept none of the responsibility. Oh, my goodness. There's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Reality Check Radio. Please send me a text, 2057. Send me an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. 
With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions can have a platform and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions. But, you know, as I've said before, there is no such thing as a wrong opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. The exchange of views, fair debate, no cancelling, no interrupting, no aggressive responses. We want to hear what people have to say. Whatever side you're on, and the listener, the consumer, with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. What a show. I'd always enjoyed Casey Costello. We'd always spoken about her life, being a police officer, and... Hobson's Pledge, one law for all New Zealanders, regardless of your ethnicity and who your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were. And she's been fantastic in that role, but we saw more fully who Casey Costello is now that she's put her name forward for Parliament. She's put her name forward to be a candidate for New Zealand First. What a wonderful woman she is, so brave, so bold, and to put your name forward to stand for Parliament is no mean thing uh, because we have so many knockers. Well, she would be a wonderful, wonderful addition to our Parliament. My goodness, I hope she gets there. I don't worry about parties. To be honest, New Zealand First has been more on my side than my old party, the ACT Party, uh, these past three years, so good on Winston for that. And good on Winston for having winning uh, Casey Costello to his team because she is invaluable, as you heard. And then Jonathan Ayling from the Free Speech Union, uh, standing up for free speech. Again, hard to imagine that's even needed in New Zealand, but it is. Uh, We see that. Uh, We see that with the discussion about how if you disagree with someone, you're a Nazi and you're committing a hate crime in the minds of. Radio New Zealand, at least, and these academics, at least. And, of course, they've been pushing to legislate hate crime and literally to shut us down online. So don't forget to make a submission. And you can make a submission by going to www.defendfreespeech.co.nz. Please do, because those submissions close on Monday. won't take you more than five minutes. Five minutes to defend free speech and put another name who opposes us being shut down and regulated. When I mean us, I mean all of us. Anyone that disagrees with the government narrative is in danger with these hate speech laws. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can text me at 2057. I love your texts. I love your emails. Inbox at reallycheck.radio. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. It's wonderful having you along. Wonderful to hear from you. We'll talk Thursday. Take care till then. God bless.